You know, I always say that if you love my show, please support my sponsors. Well, Balesa.co is a sponsor that you'll want to go and support because all I'm asking you to do is to visit their website, B-E-L-L-E-S-A dot C-O, which is a completely free site that has all kinds of things to explore. Yes, for free. From sensual adult movies to erotic fiction and current event articles, Balesa has so much to offer. They view sexuality through a feminine lens, and I have to say it's so refreshing to see adult content portrayed in this way. So please drop in at balesa.co and get lost in the incredible amount of content they have to offer for free. Adam and Eve is one of the most respected names in the adult industry. Trust me, I used to work for them. They are an awesome company. And what makes them even more awesome is the deal they are giving exclusively to my listeners. Just enter code HOLLY at checkout for your 10 free gifts, including free shipping. They have everything from adult movies to sex toys to lingerie, books, you name it. So go to adamandeve.com and enter HOLLY, that's H-O-L-L-Y, at checkout to enjoy this special offer. I am super excited today. I'm so thrilled to have Brie Mills here in the studio. I expect to learn a lot from her. I love having other directors in here and kind of figuring out their process and seeing how other people shoot. It's just uh, super interesting to me. And she's been producing some really great stuff. So I'm very excited to have her here. So let's welcome Brie Mills. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Today in the studio, I have multiple award-winning director, Brie Mills. Hey, Brie. Hey, hey everybody. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm, I'm ready for this uh, LA winter to end. I'm a Canadian, so I came here expecting like nothing but 90 plus degrees, and this, this winter has been a... Uh, we have like two <laughs> days of rain, and you're like, no! I'm like, this isn't what I signed up for. I know, right? <laughs> it's been crazy, too, and it was like the torrential rain port, uh, downpour left me, um, woke me up last night. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. And then I, so I did a night shoot for Digital Playground night before last and I fucking left my camera outside and there was a torrential rain pour, downpour. Why do I keep saying rain pour? <laughs> downpour on my camera. Like yeah. I left it outside for 20 minutes like in the fucking rain. Does my, it still work though? You know what? It, it didn't at the beginning and then so thankfully, so that was that's my Canon 5D Mark III that I normally shoot photos on, and then I normally shoot video on a Panasonic GH4. So fortunately, the GH4 can take photos, so I was able to use that. Um, but then my assistant tried my Canon like a couple hours later, and it seemed to work. So mm. I have a shoot tomorrow, so we'll see. Because you know, sometimes like they'll work and then they won't work. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, we've had I think probably in the same rain pour or downpour um, <laughs> that happened to you. We were shooting, and I don't think I've ever seen our PA. God bless him, I love him. I don't think I've ever seen him move so fast <laughs> as when he realized that. Uh, uh, all of our lights were outside, still yeah. under the rain. So yeah, we were we were in the same predicament as you. Yeah, was this like two nights ago? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it like came out of nowhere. Oh yeah, it was just like all of a sudden it was just like yeah, yeah, yeah it was gnarly. Yeah, fuck that, fuck this rain. Yeah, it's okay. It's gonna go soon, and then we'll be back in a drought. Yeah, it, well, which I'm looking forward to. Like, <laughs> anything that beats snow. <laughs> so you, um, when did you start? 
How long have you been in the adult industry? And were you in the industry kind of running things behind the scenes for a while before you stepped out and started directing? Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been in the industry at large for just about a decade. Okay. Um, I started working for my parent company, Gamma Entertainment, in 2009. Mm-hmm. And for the first six or so years, I worked very much on the business side of the mm-hmm. internet, or of the internet side of our business. So Gamma is a company that um, partners with studios and porn stars to essentially run the website of their business. Right. Um, so I worked as their, uh, in various different marketing capacities, and then was their marketing director, and then there was their creative director. And so I spent a lot of time um, working with established producers um, on how to market their content. Mm-hmm. And what I found the most interesting about that whole process was uh, actually going in and sort of studying how how people watched porn, what what made them tick, what was what were the actual quote unquote boner moments that really mm-hmm. drove their interest because it's not often what you think it is. Mm-hmm. And that just personally fascinated me, just being someone who comes from a marketing uh, communication background. And so I kind of was obsessed with that and uh, just sort of kept that to, you know, and used that as part of my, my role as, as the marketing director. But when we decided about five years ago to go into our own productions, it was something that um, our company had never really done, and certainly uh, our president wasn't you know, he was interested in it from a business perspective, but not personally in terms of from the creative perspective. And I kind of raised my hand mm-hmm. and said that that was an opportunity that I wanted to explore. Um, so I took, you know, everything that I learned on the marketing side, and I essentially threw myself into the world of adult production. Met up and kind of formed close bonds with a couple of up and coming uh, directors, and together we ended up um, turning around our. First project, which was a network of massage sites, Gamma had bought and kind of didn't know what to do with. Not mm-hmm. not that they didn't know what to do with it, but they didn't have a clear plan for production. So I took mm-hmm. that over, and we ended up taking one of those series, which was a all girl line mm-hmm. that had been kind of in decline and was very much an afterthought of a series on on that network. And we, um, I, I partnered up with uh, Stills by Allen, who at the time was a photographer in the business looking mm-hmm. to break into directing. Gave him his first directing gig, and together he and I kind of took over that series and turned it around completely. And we turned it around really by looking at that audience and starting to talk to them directly and understand what it was about girl girl content they were looking for that they weren't getting, mm-hmm. and kind of you know respond directly to what they were looking for. And so we were able to kind of turn it around from being the series in decline to being the series in growth for that network. And it gave me the confidence to pitch. What at the time was like a pretty, I, I guess you could say, unconventional idea, which was the idea of creating um, a mega site just for lesbian content. Mm-hmm. And so I pitched the idea of Girls Way to Gamma's owners back in 2000, and, I guess 13, and then uh, Alan and I developed it and launched it in late 2014, and it's since gone on to become the largest all-girl kind of brand in adult, and uh, kind of helped me get my uh, feet wet in terms of writing and producing and then ultimately directing and kind of led me a bit to where I am now, I guess you could say. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely, because I knew that Gamma was around for a long time because I knew a lot of people who had their site run by Mm -hmm. them. And then... And then all of a sudden, like you kind of appeared on the scene, and Girls Way appeared on the scene, and then it just took the fuck off. Yeah, and it was like amazing because, 
lesbian content is that kind of content that I think that a lot of people have trouble getting right. And I think that I feel like a lot of people feel like it's it's not something worth investing in. Mm-hmm. Did you find that you you kind of had that struggle? They were like, well, what you know, we should be doing boy girl. That's what sells. Mm-hmm. Girl girl doesn't sell. Well, I remember very clearly the day that I pitched Girls Way to uh, to Gamma's owners, and you know, I had I had done a whole vision, and I'd even created a little mock-up logo, which is pretty close to how the logo is now. Mm -hmm. But I remember when I pitched it, the first question I got asked was whether I wanted to do that, because I'm a lesbian, Mm -hmm. which uh, wasn't the reason I wanted to do it. And in fact, you know, um, the reason I did want to to push it was because I saw that the audience was there. Mm -hmm. And not only were they there, but they're incredibly open, and they like want to be involved. They have that built-in loyalty. They have that built-in creativity, they care about their content, probably because it's been so marginalized mm-hmm. over the years. And, you know, uh, I saw really a demand to create more of it, and I saw an audience that was willing to work with me to create it, which is built-in loyalty right there. Um, and so that was what kind of gave me the confidence to push to do it. But yeah, it was a struggle in the beginning. Um, and after we launched it, we... I would say the first six months were really carried by the fact that we got one thing right. Mm-hmm. When we started, we launched it as like a classic mega site, four separate lines, each of them very different. You know, mm-hmm. something for everybody. And you know, we had a couple of mommy girl clips, which was one of the series we developed because at the time, family role play stuff was starting to become you know more and more popular. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness we did that right because that carried our first six months. Right. The audience we we got in from. Uh, from that series. But during that time, it allowed Alan and I to kind of break the mold of the traditional mega site concept and start to create girls' way content, which was, you know, really just us taking the stories that we were interested in telling along with the stories that we um, took from our members and developing them. And that, when we launched our first girl, Girl feature, which again, I don't think anybody had ever really done before. Yeah, Very you few never people. see that. It's so <laughs> uncommon. But I just wanted to do it because I wanted to make movies, you know, right. and Alan is very much the same way. And so when we launched, uh, or when we released Business of Women, which was our first film that we did, which was like a total, like, wild, wild west, we didn't know what we were doing, like, scrappy, <laughs> put it together type of feature. Yeah. Um, you know, it really caused us to take off. And that was really, it was actually our, our looking at girl-girl content from a point of pure originality and breaking conventions that really struck a chord with fans and allowed us to have the the big bulk of the growth that we've had. Um, and luckily it just happened right at the same time that lesbian content kind of came out as the number one most searched type of porn. So. Yeah, I remember seeing that and and being surprised by that. I was mm-hmm. like, really? Like for some reason I thought it would, you know, be like hardcore um anal or you know interracial or something like that mm-hmm. but yeah i saw the, that 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 was the number one search for a term and so i was like okay that surprised me yeah well i mean it does it it doesn't surprise me in the sense that i think that you know if you are to look at the broad spectrum of adult you know watchers and surfers you know not necessarily paid customers but just like the audience overall I think as as society's loosening up a little bit and more and more people are starting to openly admit that they watch adult content, that they like it, you're starting to see a more diverse crowd. And then I think lesbian content is quite digestible. Like it's something that appeals to women and couples and straight men and like a whole spectrum of, of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's probably a big reason why 
it is at the top. Um, but we were very fortunate that we were able to kind of ride the wave of that with a product offering that was just devoted to that. Right. Do you think that you find that your audience is more men or more women or kind of split 50-50 or like what kind of what kind of audience do you guys have for that site? So girlsway.com, I would say from the sort of from the surveying that we've done um, and the data mining that we've done, it's definitely a majority male audience mm-hmm. or male identifying audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say probably about eighty-five uh, percent, mm-hmm. um, but a solid fifteen percent uh, are female identifying. Mm-hmm. Which you know, from what I understand from other you know uh, uh, companies, uh, the percentage is not always quite that high. It's mm-hmm. usually less than that. So we do have. Still a minority, but I would say like a strong and growing minority of female identifying uh, fans. Some of which are lesbian, some of which are not. Right. Um, but we we do have, especially within our core group of super fans, and they really are a core group of super fans. Um, they uh, there's all different kinds of, of of personalities and people in there. Yeah. What do you think um, you guys do that's with lesbian porn that's different than what other people are doing that are bringing you the success that you're having? Um, I think it comes down to, I would say, three things. The first is that we treat it as a priority. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I said, it's uh, Girls' Way is all about lesbian content. Mm-hmm. Um, and we treat it as a priority, not just in terms of the fact that that's all we produce for that studio, but we also treat it as a priority in terms of taking the time to understand what that audience is looking for. Mm-hmm. And not just what that audience is looking for, but what um, girl-girl performers um, or you know, boy girl performers who like to shoot girl girl scenes, what they're looking for to to bring to their fans. So overall, we treat girl girl production as a priority. Um, we are very very close to our fans. So about fifty percent, if not more, of the scenes we produce every month are crowdsourced from our members. Oh wow! That shows how much uh, we take their opinions and their feedback to heart. They're mm-hmm. literally creating our brand with us, and it's at the point now, you know. Girls' Way was launched in 2014, so we're like four years down the road. That I'm kind of like the the, the spokeswoman, but in terms of what's going on with the brand and the ins and the outs of it, I mean, I really uh, I really take a second seat to to our fans and 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 you know uh, our crew and the people that are really driving it forward. They know more about Girls' Way and the brand principles at this point than mm-hmm. I do, which is the best thing as a creator that you can. Yeah, you can have. Um, so we're really, really close with our fans. We take them very seriously, and they're very involved in our content creation process. And then um, I would say the third thing that we do is, um, in addition to having that closeness and having it be a priority, we're not uh, constrained. We don't. No, there's not really anything that's const- kind of holding us back from being experimental and and breaking conventions. Um, you know, I'm. I, I try to to apply this to all the work that I produce. That I don't. I want to challenge the status quo all the time of what adult content should and should not be. So, you know, we feature different kinds of models on our site. We feature different kinds of storylines, um, and uh, you know, I think that allows us to. That creative freedom does allow us to to help move the needle and to help kind of keep pushing the media overall medium forward. Yeah. What do you think? Um, I mean, do you think that, like, as a gay woman, you have like better insight on how to create like a really believable mm-hmm. um, connection in a girl-girl scene? Because, I mean, you know, what something that I often come across is 
mainly if you don't have the right performers, but like girl girl scenes can be insanely dull if it's not done right. You know what I mean? And it's just like you get these two gay for pay girls mm-hmm. and they have like long nails so they can't do any fingering. Um do, I mean is there like like what what do you think that other people are doing wrong? Mm-hmm. Like are there certain lesbian scenes that you see and you're like, "Oh my fucking god, that's terrible like for these reasons." You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I think you named some good examples <laughs> of when like the nails and stuff like that. But uh you know, I get asked that question a lot. You know, mm-hmm. "Oh, because you're a, a lesbian producer of lesbian porn, mm-hmm. like you know, is that the competitive edge? The reality is, is that you know, uh, Stills by Allen, who's our exclusive director and who's really the on the ground man for vast majority of girls' way content at this point, he is a probably a bigger, better lesbian than I am. He's mm-hmm. definitely an honorary lesbian. It's all about understanding what makes a good girl girl scene. It doesn't matter, you know, uh, if you're if you're a lesbian or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you nailed it when you spoke about the importance of the chemistry and the casting. And that's something that both uh, Alan and I, because I'm involved in uh, the casting process for all of our scenes, that is an area where I think we, again, pay a lot of attention to who we bring on and who we bring back and uh, who we pair together. And just because you're popular on Girls' Way doesn't necessarily mean that you're popular in the industry overall and vice versa. So we're we're not driven by, oh, that person's number one on... Free ones, therefore, we have to get her on no right. matter what. It's like we'll certainly try it, but it doesn't guarantee success. Oftentimes, yeah. it won't work yeah. because if that you know passion and chemistry and genuine love for performing with other women is not there, they won't be back, yeah. and the fans will call them out. Yeah, I t- you know I totally agree with you, and you know you talking about that makes me wish that I had more control over my casting process when I work for my clients because usually they choose who they want, and I don't get a say. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they'll just throw me, you know, brand new girls, and the scene will just be like, and I won't have any idea who they are, and the scene will be terrible mm-hmm. um, to the point where like I've argued with them. I'm like, don't. Give me two brand. If you want to put a brand new girl and don't put her with another brand new girl, put her with like what I call what I call an anchor, which is like an established good girl girl performer who yeah. can carry the scene if the other girl is terrible. We call it a ringer. So. Okay, interesting. <laughs> yeah, so same logic, but yeah, absolutely. You know, we um, I work with a great content uh, uh, analysis team that is all about looking at who's done well on our sites and on competitor sites and everything. But, you know, at the end of the day, the casting decision remains within, you know, my hands and working with uh, Alan for Girls' Way and working with, you know, my team for Pure Taboo and stuff. And it's all, like, casting for me is paramount. As a writer, I write for specific people. Right. I don't I don't just see who's going to fit into that mold. That's mm-hmm. not how you create a compelling piece. Okay. So, um, so, okay, so how often do you, like, bring in new girls? Because I've seen that you guys do shoot a lot of, the same girls, mm-hmm. um, like, and is there? Do you make them come in for a go see? Like, do you kind of research them online? You know, see, like, because what I'll do is, if I have a choice, I'll kind of go look them up. I'll see what other people are saying about them. I'll go look at their social media and see if they're just like an idiot mm-hmm. on Twitter or like fighting with everybody or just super negative. Yeah. You know, and that'll kind of steer me away from them. Um, so do you have like certain things that you're looking for when you're considering to bringing someone new to the table? Yep. We don't really do go sees anymore because it's kind of not the best forum to really test somebody out. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a couple of series uh, within Gamma Films as a whole that we consider to be testing grounds. Mm. So All Girl Massage, that that 
lesbian series I talked about that was the one that started it all is actually one of the places where we'll try out a model okay. to see kind of just how they adapt to doing storyline content and it's not too difficult of a or complex of a story but mm-hmm. enough for us to get a sense of like how they perform, how they interact with other performers and how they just deal with our type of content. Right. And generally someone's not going to appear on Girls Way before they've kind of done that okay. test. Um, or within um, Girls Way we have a series called Web Young which is a more like teen on teen series and that will be usually a place to debut New um, girls, new girls, and we always pair them with a ringer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> For yeah. that same reason, just, just you know, because it is, you know, and, and those stories are of girls' way. They're, they're definitely the the smallest in scope or the kind of lightest. Mm-hmm. So it's a good like initial foray, and you can see the people that shine right away, and the people that eh, maybe not so much. Yeah. Who do you think is like a really great new up and coming talent that you've been working with lately that you really like? Ooh, um, I've got a few. Uh, so you know, myself personally, like where I'm focusing a lot of my attention over the last year has been for Pure Taboo, which is the the studio we launched um, in September of last year. Uh, so I've been very um, very impressed by uh, Kristen Scott's one of them. I mean, she's not necessarily new anymore, but she's just an amazing actress. Yeah, amazing actress. Uh, we've had her. You know, she's been a regular on Girls Way and on Pure. She Tabu. just won Best Actress at she, the end, right? She won Best Supporting Actress Best for support. for her role in Half His Age, which was uh, the Pure Taboo. Uh, Film. Wait a minute. Wasn't Best Actress your? Wife? It was my wife. Yeah. <laughs> You're like no, 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 no. She did not win Best Actress. Let me tell you who won Best Actress. Well, I was actually. Well, I mean, apart from being like incredibly proud of Sarah because you know that was one of the final um, projects that she worked on before mm. she retired, Faces of Alice, which was the last movie I directed for Girls Way. Mm. Um, you know, I was really proud that night in general that three out of the four. Uh, acting categories uh, went to, to people who uh, from films that I had directed. Right. So that, as an actor's director, was a, was you know my greatest accomplishment was yeah. was seeing them get recognized. You guys also won best film too. Yeah, we won movie of the year yeah. and uh, best new studio as well, and we won best uh, action thriller and best drama. Wow. Did yeah. you have to like bring like a extra car for all your awards to drive them home afterwards? No, we, we got we got them in. We got them. I was actually driving a like a wonderful like not quite a lesbian U-Haul but like almost a lesbian U-Haul down to the expo for like the girls' way booth we had. So I was like, I could have taken you know a significant larger number. You're like, I have room for more yeah. people. Yeah. You can give me more awards. It's fine. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, so Kristen Scott would be one of them. Mm-hmm. I, I adore working with her. And actually, I was so proud um, to recently collaborate with her on a story that she wrote mm-hmm. um, for Pure Taboo that featured her first uh, uh, DP scene. Um, and uh, who else do we have? Because there's so many. Uh, Whitney Wright is another one who I really enjoy working mm-hmm. with. Um, she's, uh, I'm shooting her tomorrow, actually. Oh, good. We tell yeah. her hi. I shot her like the day that we had that rainstorm. Um, She's great. She's funny. She's like weird. She's beautiful. She's mm-hmm. super talented. She's like uh, uh, a great, uh, a great person to have on set, and uh, has become one of one of uh, my regulars. Uh, Jill Cassidy's another one who, uh, you know, we've really been able to work with her to showcase. Uh, she's obviously a beautiful kind of girl next door look, and does does really well on the uh, on the Gonzo side. But we were able to to show a lot of her um, acting talent on Pure Taboo, and she's been a, a great uh, regular cast member for the for that studio. 
Um, Eliza Jane is, a, is one that's come out pretty strong for us for Girls' Way over the last few months. Um, and uh, she's going to be in a couple of big projects coming up for Pure Taboo as well. So, I mean, we've got, I've got a long list of, of names. I'm so uh, regularly impressed by the talent that exists within our industry that, that we only ever scratch the surface of. Yeah, yeah. Has it been, um, have you, so you guys focus very heavily on dialogue and acting and stuff like that. And I was actually, I can't, I wish I could remember who said this to me. Because um, they were really complimenting you. They just said that the way that you direct and the way that you handle the models and how you kind of like teach them acting methods and stuff like that was really quite incredible. So, have you like, do you feel like you've been able to kind of help groom girls like coming in who are kind of maybe not so good with dialogue and acting? And you've kind of given them like, some input and, and they and you've seen them improve and become because mm-hmm. that's honestly like a lot of times my struggle. Like if I get somebody who doesn't know how to act, like I am not an acting coach. And mm-hmm. honestly, like I only started shooting features a couple of years ago. So it's not even something I'm that experienced in. And I'm always like, I don't have the time to teach you how to act. Mm-hmm. Right. But they've got to learn somewhere. So like how much time do you put into that? Well, you know, my the only real directing experience that I have comes from, I, I grew up doing a lot of theater. Mm-hmm. So when I started to to direct an adult, I didn't know how to be a film director and yeah. I didn't know how to be a porn director. So I just l- relied on kind of how I knew how to direct, which you know ca- came from, from theater. So I really take a... Um, a sort of uh, uh, improv workshop approach to how I direct my productions. And um, the first, the most important thing that, that, that I do, um, although I've written scripts for all of the previous Girls' Way movies that I've done, I learned very, very early on in the uh, production process for Pure Taboo that to get the type of serious dramatic performances that I was looking for, they weren't going to come from memorizing a script. Because mm-hmm. I think that there's there's certain actors who can riff off of a script and go, but especially given um, the experience that a lot of adult performers have prior to getting into the business, uh, it's much, much uh, better to work with them at bringing a character to life and allowing them to, giving them the context of the story and the background on their characters and then giving them the freedom to uh, let those characters come to life. Mm-hmm. So none of my pure taboo stuff is scripted, nothing. Mm. You know, maybe I, I, what I'll do is I'll prepare usually a two to three page story, mm-hmm. and as the as the you know the writer and director, I, I come in as the storyteller, mm-hmm. and I start every day off with what I call porn script theater, which mm-hmm. is where I read the story. Mm-hmm. I read the story to the entire cast and crew. And I riff off of the, a little bit about their characters and how they relate to each other and how they know each other and give everybody the backstory. Okay. So that, you know, when we take them into whatever's going to happen in the, you know, present day of the story itself, everybody kind of comes into it understanding who they are, how they know each other, where they've been, and ultimately what's going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. And then we will go sequence by sequence throughout the story and workshop it. Mm-hmm. And, um, You'd be surprised. It's not. Uh, it's really not rocket science. Yeah. It's just giving, treating these people from the moment they arrive on set as actors above anything else. Mm-hmm. Treating them with respect. Treating them, um, you know, giving them the information that they need, and then working with them to to uh, kind of create the characters. And I'll do uh, probably 
two to three rounds of rehearsals with them beforehand, before mm-hmm. we start filming. And then we film generally in single takes. So oh, wow. single long takes, like a play. And right. we actually call, we, we design a lot of our stories to be one-act plays. So you'll right. see there's usually like maybe one or two little short pieces that lead up into the bulk of each episode, which takes place in a location and is basically a play. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so you'd be surprised at how quickly people can gravitate towards that and can can adapt to that and just lose themselves in their characters. And that's what I want. I, I want. I don't want cheesy dialogue that you're trying to remember. I don't want you to come right. on my stage and act as if you're trying to recall these lines. I want you to come and be these people. Right. And, you know, especially with the types of stories I'm telling, like they they require a lot of emotion and they require a lot of vulnerability. And so the best way to get that out is to let people just put their own spin on these improvised characters. And, you know, it's it, but it's incredible. It's incredible what we've been able to 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 allow these performers to get out of themselves without much apart from giving them the stage. That's amazing. So I've never really heard of anybody that's done it that way because you know I usually get a script and I I have those issues where they're just trying to remember the lines and a lot of times especially if they're having a hard time I'll be like look it doesn't have to be verbatim. You get the gist of what they're trying to say, just say it in your own way, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I've never heard of anybody kind of, so you really like involve them in the creation of the movie. So like they kind of develop the character alongside with you. So mm-hmm. that's gotta be, that's, that's interesting in two ways. And on one sense that puts a lot of pressure on the performer. So that would make sense as to why you had to be very, you would, I would imagine you have to be very careful with who you cast for those mm-hmm. kinds of things. But then also too, you work with the right people and, I think that they probably are more inspired, more invested in the story because they get to put a part of themselves in it. They have a say. They feel like they're a part of a project as opposed to just being hired for the day and coming in and like saying their lines and collecting their check mm. and going home. Mm-hmm. Well, what what gives me like honestly, what makes me get up every day and what makes me like keep pushing and pushing is I am so inspired by the pride that you know when when somebody leaves my set that that feeling of accomplishment after they've finished this incredibly intense emotional long piece mm-hmm. you know the, the people that I've had people cry on my set I've had people like hug each other in in you know like just they can't believe they did that mm-hmm. um you know I uh the 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 follow-ups that I get from from talent that they're so proud that they've showed their parents the trailer that they wow. you know they they you know as as one one of my uh, cast members said to me once that really kind of pulled my heartstrings like thank you for showing the world that I'm more than just sucking dick yeah you know like that's what inspires me um, to to just show the fact that you know adult. Just because it's an adult film doesn't mean it's not a film, right? And you know, just because these are adult actors doesn't mean that they're not actors. That is a very important side of their, you know, overall what they bring to the table as a performer. Um, but it's something that we very rarely pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the but the audience is there, and they will they will support you, and they will financially support you if you produce content that focuses on that. Yeah, you know that the pure taboo is proof of that, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so I'm I'm incredibly proud and inspired by seeing the look on their faces, and it could bring me to tears, honestly. Yeah, so you would say then that probably if people ask you the question like, how do you make money in you know a land of free porn? 
I guess your answer would be about really focusing on the fans, what the fans want, having them involved, having the people that you work with involved, and making it more of an inclusive kind of, I don't know, club or something like mm-hmm. that, as opposed to just some like faceless website that mm-hmm. people just just crank out, you know. Well, scenes. I'll, I, I'll, I will try not to go off into too much, much of a tangent here, but I will go off into a little bit of one because I <laughs> no tangent <laughs> away, girl. I, tangent I, away. I really believe in this, but you know, like, on, like you know, and, and I mean, uh, Holly, you surely have seen this evolve through your own career and obviously through your family's history with this with this business. But you know, when the digital age came around and completely changed. You know, pornography and distribution. You know, it went from you know an era where there was quite a lot of investment in the quality and in the production value and in you know the the contract stars and all of this, and it sort of changed. And on one hand, it changed for the better in the sense that all of a sudden, adult content became like why the reach became far, far, far wider. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time. Uh, the mentality started started to shift about just volume. How can we keep pumping out more and more volume, and then how can we slash our budget so that we can shoot three scenes in a day versus one scene in a day? And how can we, you know, start to focus much more on the advertising than the scenes themselves? And I know that there are many companies out there um, <laughs> where the ad moments are the only thing. Well, that exactly. Matter. Where, where what, what you receive as a yeah. director? Well, first of all, you don't really have any creative freedom as a director no. anymore or as an mm-hmm. artist. And what you receive are sixteen pages. Of ad specs and and a one paragraph about the scene, yeah, and that you know is what I would say has sort of created this current state that we have in the industry where it's 2018 and nobody has to pay for porn. Mm-hmm. Don't have to. Yeah. There's a sea of scenes out there that mm-hmm. anybody can within two clicks access and it's all the same generic stuff and it's all you know populated by uh, the fact that, that that scene was produced to create a GIF and not because it's particularly interesting or remarkable. And you know this has created the current sort of paralysis state that us as, you know, you know, producers and 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 production companies are in where it's harder and harder to make that buck because there's such a huge free alternative. Yeah. But at the same time, where I think things are changing, and I'm certainly evidence of that, and I can think of a few others in the last couple of years who've done this as well, is that when you break free from that mentality right. and you reinvest in the quality of what what it is that we're creating that you can draw an audience and you can draw an audience rather quickly and without tons of advertising you mm-hmm. know pure taboo doesn't have tons of advertising yeah um, you know certainly we have you know our our media campaigns and our email campaigns and you know our standard stuff but we're not out you know Pumping tons and tons and tons of money into into our media buys. I'm not shooting 16 pages of ad specs. I don't even shoot any still photos. I shoot zero still photos. Really? Zero. Do you guys just pull them from the footage? Yeah, we pull them from the footage. And the one thing I'll do is I'll shoot a little bit of B-roll uh, footage in 4K that we can use to to try to target you know what our what our uh, poster is going to look like. You mm-hmm. know, we go into that with that forethought. But it's all the day is completely focused on the story and the video and the acting and um, you know I, I would say about 80% of our sales are organic interesting and a big part of that is because of the fact that people who are involved in the project 
care to promote it. Mm. We're not forcing or paying anybody to promote it. Right. They want to promote it because they're, they're proud, proud of it. What they've done, and and their fans want to see it. Mm-hmm. And people who are interested in in adult content, particularly those who are inclined to pay for it, mm-hmm. want to pay for it because right. it's good. And you know that's been the the that's been a kind of a big wake up call to me as a content creator because you know it's. It's hard to pitch something these days because mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of upfront cost and you're not sure about the payoff. But if you have, if you empower your content creators to drive the decisions, you know where they're the ones working with the talent, they're the ones that are bringing it to life, they're the ones whose life it is. Mm-hmm. Um, if you empower them as filmmakers and and and, and artists to create that, um, and you can. Build in the engagement from the stars who are the stars that people want to see. Right. Then you know you can make a dent in this industry despite all the free content, and you know that goes that extends into your audience itself. And that was, of course, a huge part of Girls' Way's success is the fact that we talk to our members, so we know them by name. Mm-hmm. That that's a huge part of our business model. And has been since day one. And the reason why we're successful is is driven either directly from that or the indirect benefits of working with that group. And you know, that's something that's that really only happened again because Gamma empowered its content creators to drive that. Right. And it was just our instinct to want to talk to the people. Right. That that was what kind of spurred that on. How do you guys um, interact with your members? Is there a forum on the site that people go on, or do they? I was I was assuming they obviously probably email you directly as well, but is it mo- mainly discussed on a forum? Yep. So Girlsway has a very very active forum, mm-hmm. um, and we use that forum to uh, submit stories, to just have general discussions, um, to do a monthly casting thread. Uh, many of our models are active. On that forum, talking mm-hmm. to their fans, having Q and A's, um, voting on stories, and submitting stories that they want to make. Um, you know, we we that's like the central nervous system of Girls' Way is mm-hmm. its forum. Um, and then we're also really active on social media. That would be, I'd say, kind of the other main uh, communication channel we use with fans. And it's you know, Girls' Way has its own account. Pure Taboo has its own account. I have my own account. You know, my our various directors have their own account. So we're all. Regularly talking to people all the time through right. various mediums. Okay, and tell me about Pure Taboo, um, which you just launched last year, as you said, and um, how you came up with that idea, what that whole genre is about, um, all that stuff. Cool. Um, so when we uh, kind of riding high off the success of Girls' Way a couple years ago, mm-hmm. I thought, oh, okay, I know how to do this. I love making story content. And we've created this kind of like I like to think of Girls' Way as like Desperate Housewives. It's kind of mm-hmm. like a prime time melodrama soap opera. And I was like, okay, so like we know how to tell good stories, and we understand kind of like the importance of talking to members and 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 working with uh, our talent. And so I want to try to tackle some of these you know taboo stories, which are very popular. I want to try to tackle them in the boy girl market. Mm-hmm. And this was where I learned a very valuable lesson as a producer, um, which was that you know just because an idea looks good in a PowerPoint presentation doesn't necessarily mean that's all that it takes to make it a success. Right. And so I was like, okay, I want to uh, I want to um, to replicate what I've done with Girls Way. I want to create like the boy girl version of Girls Way. Mm-hmm. And so I made a very snazzy PowerPoint presentation and got the green light to develop a boy girl product. And I used I tapped crew members from 
um, our kind of core groups. I work with a core group of, mm-hmm. of content creators, and I tapped you know uh, Craven Moorhead and a few of our other regular players to go out and marching orders, go out and create you know the carbon copy of Girlsway and the Boy Girl Network, mm-hmm. and they created they produced I think about maybe seventy five to hundred scenes, and it was you know well shot, decent content tackling a lot of boy girl themes. But there was nothing about it that was any different than any other boy-girl site that was out there tackling these same themes. Right. So again, we sort of entered into the sea of free content with more of the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, for the first few months, I was wondering, like, why, why isn't this working? Like, I can't do everything myself. Like, why isn't this working? And then I realized that it wasn't working because when you bring a brand to life, it's 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 not the idea that matters. It's the life that you give it. Mm-hmm. And I knew that what we were executing was not quite my, my real idea that I had. And I knew that without kind of coming in and steering the ship a little bit, that we were probably just going to continue to produce like good, but you know, generic uh, boy-girl content. And so I, kinda t- I took the same people, we went back to the drawing board, and I... Wanted. I did a test scene, uh, still within Pretty Dirty, which was the uh, first boy-girl line that we we launched. And I said, okay, I want to do a series that's going to take taboo seriously, mm-hmm. because you know taboo themes are not not just family role player faux stuff, but like all different types of taboo themes. I mean, that's what story porn is built on. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's you know these themes exist all over the place in boy-girl content, but. Rarely are they ever explored with any seriousness. It's always kind of like a sugar-coated comedy to make it passable, to I mean, make it campy, digestible. Yeah, campy. You know, teehee. Dad caught me masturbating. Always yeah. in this so funny. When in reality, you know, uh, taboo subjects and certainly even fans of taboo content in erotica or more classic. Um, uh, adult uh, films, it, it's much, much more emotional, it's much more psychologically driven, and it's much more serious. It's much more dramatic. And when I looked out in the market, I said nobody was sort of daring to take it in that direction, You know, mostly out of you know, reservation. But that was the direction that I wanted to take. I wanted to do a spin on not, not changing what we did, but really changing how we tackled those stories. And so I knew that I wanted to to take taboo seriously, and I wanted to take the definition of taboo, which is you know the things that you're not supposed to see or do, and I wanted to use that literally. So I wanted to apply that to all aspects of how we shot content, how we edited content, how we released content, how we worked with actors, everything. And so we kind of used that philosophy as our as our mantra on bringing this brand to life. And so you'll. We took the first couple of months after I kind of uh, uh, formally retired the other line and then kind of started again under this new direction. Mm-hmm. Um, we took our first couple of months to figure out exactly how to apply that mantra into what we were shooting. And um, it all kind of culminated together, I think, by the time we shot Half His Age, which we shot last July. And we, we realized that, that the three main arcs that were going to kind of define us was the way that we shot content. So we shoot um, our our films 
very, very differently than probably anybody else in the business Okay. Um, in terms of our cinematography style. We use a cinema verite cinematography style, so it's all handheld. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, lots of long takes. We're constantly breaking the, uh, the 180 degree rule and all other kinds of things that you're not supposed to do, especially on features. Okay. And we kind of blended a lot of gonzo shooting elements, but mm-hmm. into feature production. Okay. Um, and a lot of stuff that m- the vast majority of our scenes are single camera handheld, weaving around the actors as they're working uh-huh. with a lot of rehearsed, blocked right. stuff. And so we wanted to change uh, the way that we shot. We also wanted to change the way that we edited to give it a very its own um, uh, look and feel that's sort of reminiscent of a lot of old uh, crime dramas like In the Heat of the Night and mm-hmm. early uh, Law and Order and stuff like that. And um, uh, obviously changing the way that we work with actors. So my whole approach to working with actors to bring out these performances that you don't see them doing anywhere else. Right. Uh, and then even the way that we released content. So you know you'll notice on our trailers, you don't really see any sex. Mm-hmm. But you watch that one minute trailer and like you really want to see what the episode's about because we designed them to be like. Like a thriller trailer, or like something that kind of is supposed to hook you. Yeah, I had Derek Pierce on, and he <laughs> talked about the trailer that he did with the shaving, the shaving of his head, yeah. and like, and he's like, and he said that he he asked, he's like, "How fucked up do you want this, Brie?" And you were like, "I want it fucked up." And then he was like, "Okay." And then yeah. <laughs> he was like, he was just saying that the things that he said, I was like, "Oh my goodness!" I was clutching my pearls over here. Yeah, oh yeah. I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is yeah. crazy shit." Yeah. Well, he, you know, and that whole trailer, that trailer, that actually the scene he's talking about, indirect relations, which which was not. For the most outrageous uh, scene at Fear Town or at uh, AVN this year, is that um, the one where he's telling the guy who's having sex? Yeah, with his daughters. <laughs> I gotta say, like when I heard that, I was like, "Whoa, that's that's a lot." <laughs> well, it's you know the the the, the, the thing that's important about uh, about the type of stories that I tell is understanding very clearly where where the boundaries are, mm-hmm. and uh, and then playing within them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what I shot was not a portrayal of actual blood-on-blood relations. Yeah. Did you have to, like, kind of sit down with your legal team first and be like, okay, what can I do and what can I do? Well, I have a very close relationship with my legal team. No, but, my, <laughs> but, I, but I do, and actually it's, yeah. it's, a really important, it's a really important part of my pre-production process. Mm-hmm. Every single uh, story that I write for Pure Taboo, I have a, a vetting session with um, a member of our legal and compliance team mm-hmm. to to make sure that those boundaries, you know, that I remain within them, and that you know that, that we're we're making sure that we are doing it safely and ethically within you know mm-hmm. within various different uh, means. So they are a very important part to my process. Yeah, and and you know, and I and I mean that very genuinely. It's not like oh, I have to run it past legal. It's like <laughs> no legal. We're going to work together to see how I can make this scene yeah. just as far on the edge without going over the edge. Right, but it right. allows you to be creative. Which most people are like, ah, oh, I can't do it. So I'm not even going to try to do any variation of it. Right. Um, so it's uh, so I do have a very like loving relationship with <laughs> with, with my legal team. Um, but uh, but yeah, so we we um, we kind of developed these different uh, these different um, aspects of our style, um, and then uh, when we by the time we launched the site in September, we had realized certainly I had realized that. The greatest nerve that we were going to strike was the the acting nerve. Mm-hmm. Was the fact that you know it wasn't just 
our crew and myself who walked away from each production day feeling proud of what they did, but it was really the talent that, that did. And that, you know, the success that the studio was going to have was, was really going to come as a result of the, you know, kind of relationships that we formed with our talent and, and the ambassadorship that they would bring to us because they were proud. Uh, and because we do, I really love to get somebody in the door and if I see something in them, then I want them to be a regular cast member. And a lot of the people we work with are people who are repeat players, just mm-hmm. like theater, mm-hmm. and try to take that same mentality. Yeah. And it, it's, it's fun to, to take somebody, especially when they get it and they love it, and to develop them and to develop them in different ways. And you know, I had Whitney uh, on set for me a few days ago, and it was her first sinister role that she'd played. Mm-hmm. She'd played, you know, the 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 nerdy, you know, <laughs> betrayed betrayed girl. She'd played, you know, the the you know the sort of mischievous girl. She played various different characters, but it was her first sort of evil role. So she was really excited about it because her first evil role. And her and I are now in discussions about doing a, a next episode together, which she'll write. Mm-hmm. So that's you know I like to have performers kind of work with me, get to know me, and then um, you know as we're kind of working creatively, see what more I can work with them on. So I've done model collaborations with. Um, with uh, uh, Kristen Scott and Lena Paul, I work very closely with Tommy Pistol. Mm-hmm. He's somebody that like he and I are like <laughs> we're meant to be. <laughs> we, 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 we work he's a together. great actor. Oh my gosh, he's he's such a great actor, and and so like he you know he and I get along like super well because the love of the acting mm-hmm. is is so important, um, and you know he's great to throw different. I like to throw challenges at him, yeah, uh, because he's so versatile, yeah. Um, but you know, so so I I, I like to sort of uh, take that nerve that we've struck and and really allow it to kind of be the face of the brand, so that more than just looking at it as oh it's a taboo studio oh it's you know whatever it's like a family role play studio that people kind of can remark on it, wow look at look at the performances that are coming out of that studio and look at look at what these actors are capable of doing right. Now you're going to be working on some spinoff series, right? Yes. So do you want to tell us about those? Sure. Well, I've definitely caught the the bug in terms of um, I love the way that we're working with performers and the way that we're shooting our content for Pure Taboo. So a big part of our 2018 season is going to be to sort of spin off of uh, that core style and to tackle some different universes. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the series that I'm developing, which will actually be a series within Pure Taboo, if you think of Pure Taboo as like the channel, right. then this will be a series within okay. that is a, a sci-fi series that's sort of my homage to uh, Black Mirror, which okay. I love. Yeah, um, it's a very so, disturbing show. Uh, yeah, so it naturally, makes I makes extremely uncomfortable. Naturally, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of my favorites. Um, but but I, I I love it, and it's so you know it's such a great um, premise that can be adapted to to add all the sort of the idea of a near future mm-hmm. um, where technology corrupts people. Well, you know. Mm-hmm what's going to be a big part of technology it's also going to be how how it perverts us as well so mm-hmm. so i've uh, and so, that's so like applicable to the digital industry in general anyways mm-hmm. yeah you know? absolutely yeah, yeah for sure 
it's going to be like half of it will be in VR. Yeah, no, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Maybe, but not not just yet. But you know, uh, so I, that series is called uh, Future Darkly, which is a, a for the geeks out there is kind of a reference to Philip K. Dick. Um, but it's uh, I've shot the pilot episode for that, um, and I'm shooting my second episode for it in April, and um, I'm going to be shooting a. Spin-off uh, limited series as well called Girl Core, which is going to be a uh, another lesbian series that I write and direct, and it's going to be um, a it's not it's not Girls Way it's it's its own thing. It's definitely a departure from Girls Way in terms of its style and its tone. But I'm a great lover of lesbian pulp novels of like the 40s, 50s, and 60s. I collect them and. And, um, you know, uh, I actually originally got my start sort of in adult by like uh, schlepping uh, vintage porn <laughs> during my university years. Oh, really? I, yeah. I mean, I actually like have a, um, uh, I, I was working for this secondhand bookstore and we would go buy and sell um, book collections. And we went to this old, old gentleman's house one day and he was kind of on his way into a retirement home. His family was clearing out the estate. And we were going through and assessing and appraising his books. And in the back of his house, he had this like pristine, mint condition, vintage erotica like wow. depot. Did his family even know that he had it? Nobody, certainly nobody really understood the value of what he had. Yeah. And he didn't have the original Playboy, but he had essentially every one of the copycat magazines that came out mm-hmm. after Playboy. And okay. like, you know, the, all the limited runs of. Of different uh, men's magazines of the fifties mm. and sixties, and he, you know, had them all, and he had them all, you know, bagged and tagged like a comic book collector, basically. Wow. And he also had a, a very large collection of vintage pulp novels and lesbian mm. uh, uh, pulp novels, which are amazing. And so we kind of bought that collection, not really knowing what we were doing with it. And it was a small bookstore I worked for, and they didn't really have an audience for it. So I was like, hey, I'll put this up on eBay. Yeah. This was like 2000. Yeah, 2000 when people actually went on eBay. When people went on eBay. When was the last time you were on eBay? Because I, I, I was seeing that the other day. I'm like, I haven't been on eBay in like, I feel like a decade. Like At least a decade. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah. I think about going on it sometimes. Yeah. I'm like, hey, I could check that out on eBay. Could, but then I just go could, on Amazon. Yeah, or, just, yeah, exactly, or Etsy. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but yeah. So I sold these magazines on eBay and ended up, of course, discovering that um, there was this huge audience of collectors, and mm-hmm. that you know, like I would discover many years later, working in online porn, that what they were looking for was not the broad strokes. It wasn't you know, uh, Escapade Volume One Issue mm-hmm. Six. It was all the little details. You know, girls in sweaters, girls playing musical instruments, underwater photography, all these nuances that they personally fetishized and collected. Mm-hmm. And so what I would do is I'd take these magazines and I'd go through them and I'd gut them and I'd list all as the metadata content within mm-hmm. the listings all the contents and yeah. that's how we ended up selling them. Um, and and I did I actually imported and exported vintage porn all through university. Oh wow. Um, yeah, so it was that was my real start in adult. Yeah. It was certainly like the seeds of what what I, I made me me today. But I'm going to go back to that era and I'm going to dust off some of my favorite Lesbian pulp stories and kind of pay homage to that genre um, uh, and create Girlcore, which will be, we'll put out the first season as its own season package as a limited series available um, uh, probably in the fall. So, those are two of the big spinoffs I'm working on. How often do you guys update Pure Taboo and Girls Way? Girls Way is up to five updates a week uh-huh. at this point. 
Um, and Pure Taboo is moving to two updates a week starting in June. We're at uh, one and a half updates a week, I guess you could say right now. It's every other week we're two updates, but so, we'll be going formally to two. So how many times like a month are you shooting? Well, Gamma Films overall, which is the, the production company that I head, um, we produce content for uh, Girls Way, Pure Taboo, um, Fantasy Massage, and uh, you know whatever little spinoff projects I'm working on. We're about 35 production days a month at this wow. point, if you put us all together. Yeah, wow, that's and amazing. and it all comes out of this core crew of people that that I um, that I'm working with. I took a, a decision early on that I wanted to rather than hiring a really wide net of mm-hmm. of producers that I wanted to build this kind of core team of people that I could also then groom people. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the people that are working for me are people that have kind of grown up through mm-hmm. through the group or have come in at one level and and now they've gone from being, you know, PA to then second cam to to then, you know, lead cam to directing. So it's it's really helped me to create um a group of like a real family yeah. of people, but then also um, people who understand what I'm looking for as a producer, what the standards are that we keep, and uh, and just that passion. Yeah, really. I think that's really important. You know, I think that sometimes a lot of times clients don't understand that having that personal connection with the people that are working for them is so incredibly important. Because you know, a lot of times I'll just get like scripts or you know what I mean. And I don't know. It's just hard when I don't feel like I really know anyone at the company or if. The producers are constantly changing, mm-hmm. um, and I just don't feel like a direct connection with the people that I'm working with. It's kind of hard to. It can be hard sometimes to be kind of motivated, you know, and to feel like you're a part of something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I love that you do that, and I think that that's really important. You know, I, I in terms of my crew, I work with all the same people yeah. as well because it's like it makes you so much more efficient because then you understand each other and how you work with each other yeah. and all of that. Um, and I love too, like when you the many many times I've seen you go up on stage to accept <laughs> awards. I like that you bring everybody up there with you, you know, and like, like you definitely sell it as like we're a family, you know. All of these people are what makes this happen, as opposed to just going up by yourself and being like, "I'm a great director, mm-hmm. yay for me, I'm so mm-hmm. good." Like, you know what I mean? Like, you definitely sell it as as a family unit. Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, it's not a it's not something really to compliment for me. It's like how it should be done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and especially the way that we work is so collaborative, mm-hmm. um, and we all play different roles within our productions. All of us. Yeah. Uh, so it wouldn't. Uh, it wouldn't make sense not to to kind of honor and recognize the Gamma Films group. Yeah. So what? And it's funny. I'm going to ask you this question, even though I hate this question I get all the time. <laughs> and I'm going to ask it for you, anyways. Do it. How do you feel about being a female director in what is generally a male-dominated industry? Do you feel that you have advantages? Do you feel that you have disadvantages? Um, do you feel like there's n- neither way? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. How does? Well, I think it's advantageous to be a female director right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's certainly many uh, female direct, notable female directors in the business who are active and working, and not just active and working, but really leaders of the industry right now. Um, so I'm I'm uh, honored to be included amongst them. Um, I think we, I think as we're we're continuing to sort of try and change a lot of stigmas about the industry, both within the industry, 
um, and certainly perceptions about the industry, having strong, confident uh, women behind the scenes advocating for um, you know for the the work that we're doing is is an important uh, voice to have in the conversation. Um, I think it's like the be- one of going to be one of our best ways to move the conversation past uh, a lot of the old stereotypes. Um, so I think that 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 it is advantageous at this point. Um, as a female director, certainly I've been told by people that I've worked with that it does create an environment of not necessarily a more trusting environment, but uh, an environment that that they feel more comfortable with. Uh, early on, and I, I don't like to say that because I don't want to create the assumption that 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 same comfortability doesn't exist mm-hmm. with male directors. I know a lot of amazing male directors that have super great sets and lots and lots of uh, performers who love working for them. But there is, I think, something um, you know innate that exists about okay, I'm going to come on to her set, and I know that you know it's it's I, there's going to be less risk of 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 me feeling uncomfortable. Um, and also, too, I think that they feel that they can probably talk to you about certain things that they can't talk yeah. to guys about. Yeah. I mean, I know for me, especially working with new girls, like if a girl's like on her period and needs mm-hmm. to like be like, pull me aside, and be like, hey, just like I'm on my period, tell me if you can see my sponge or my. Like, yeah. it's easier for them to talk to me about that than to talk about. Absolutely. You know, yeah. like I actually had a girl that I was shooting the other day because I bring robes to set for everyone to wear and makeup. And I have, I actually made these like really cool custom Holly Randall That's robes. Nice. They're super comfortable. <laughs> um, anyways, but some girl was wearing it and I guess she started her period while she was in the makeup chair and mm-hmm. she bled on my robe and yeah. she was like freaking out. And I was like, girl, that is nothing. I'm like, I can get blood out of anything. <laughs> yeah. And I totally got it out. But yeah, I mean, like a situation, and she was new. She it was our first time shooting nude. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just that situation alone, like, was much better because yeah. I was a woman. Yeah, no, and it's a, so there is, you know, you're you're right. There is like that the air of comfortability. I mean, I'm kind of like a 12 year old boy, you know. On set, <laughs> so I don't know. How, I don't know. Like whatever. I love it when girls ask me to like pick out their lingerie, and I'm like, well, what do you think looks better? I yeah. mean, I don't know. I, that looks pretty. Let's just choose something white. You know, <laughs> my 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 go to. Um, but uh, but you know, I think it's it, you know, I, I'm happy to see. Um, the uh, at the end of the day, the number of of really talented female directors who are on top, who are you know um, producing a lot of interesting content and and having you know uh, trying to carve out as much creative freedom and and to to kind of be a big part of the next wave of what adults will be in terms of of what is put to market and 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 all mm-hmm. that stuff. Yeah. What um you you mentioned uh, about like you know the stigma of the industry. What do you think is like one of the biggest mis- misconceptions that the general public has about the adult industry? Well, there's the well, it's it's interesting. I get I've been doing a fair amount of press over the last year, mainstream press, and 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 what I get asked all the time is one. What is it like to be one of the few female directors? Mm-hmm. That's what I told you. I'm like, you're yeah. gonna hate me for asking yeah. this question because I know you've been asked that a million times. Because I get asked that question yeah. all the yeah. time. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I think one of the misconceptions is the fact that it is a completely male-dominated business, which you know, um, it, it isn't. I think that um, if you are to actually line up who's who's shooting the content these days, there's you know, quite a quite a few uh, uh, females there that are making stuff that's sort of at the top of the charts. Um, I think that uh, one of the other misconceptions that personally bothers me, and I like, it's my mission to try to overcome, is this concept that um, 
that it, because it's a porno, quote unquote, that it can't be a, like it can't actually be good, mm. um, or that you know the the whole notion of mattress actress and that you know there's there's no real talent. And I get asked that question all the time. How do you do it? Yeah. How do you get these girls to do? They're always so bad. How do you? It's like you just. You just turn, you know, turn that faucet on a little bit. That's all. Like, there's yeah. not, there's no, there's, there's no great secret. Um, but yeah, the fact that you can't, like, I believe wholeheartedly, we're at a great advantage as adult filmmakers in the sense that we can create really good, interesting pieces and include sexual sexuality and sexual expression where our mainstream counterparts can't. Yeah. So, but like, why sell ourselves short? Why do we have to make crappy stuff? Why do we have to make you know, you know, uh, cheesy, bad porno flicks? Why can't we make really interesting content um, that rivals you know the best films, TV shows, and web series? There's nothing stopping us. We've got really creative people here. We're using the same equipment. Mm-hmm. Like, what's stopping us? So that's a misconception that I really try. To, to overcome by ranting anytime I can <laughs> and and by you know just taking that into or taking that to heart in the work that I do to try to make it elevate um, people's misconceptions of what adult content can be um, those are two big misconceptions uh, you know that that exist um, that I would that I would say okay what do you see um, what do you see the future holding Ooh, in general, in life? Yes, yes. <laughs> in what 2020. Yeah, no. What is going to happen to planet Earth in 2020? Oh gosh. Well, I, I mean, mean, as the adult the adult industry, do you where do you like see us going? Where do you see us going? And this is funny because this is another question that I also hate being asked. <laughs> so I don't know why I'm asking you all these questions that I hate being asked. Maybe I just want to see if you answer them better than yeah. me, and I'm going to steal your answer okay, for the next okay. time. I'll do my best. <laughs> um. Well, where I think adult is going, like I said, we've hit this kind of saturation point, I feel. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the internet has has completely changed how adult content is consumed. It is now like widely accessible. Nobody has to pay for it. Two clicks and you have it. So if you're going to make commercially successful content these days, it has to go above and beyond the status quo. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, there are enough creative um, producers that are working right now who are making content that goes above and beyond that. And I think more and more that are starting to wake up and say, like, oh, you know, maybe we should also be paying a bit more attention to the, to the piece itself and, and not just the advertising. Um, hopefully, we'll continue to build on that momentum, get more and more people to jump on that bandwagon. Um, as overall entertainment is going much more digital in terms of consumption, so you know, uh, internet television now pretty much trumping cable television. Um, uh, film uh, is going to go that same direction, and people are going to start to. I think even um, I read recently that uh, that uh, the main uh, film studios are going to start to offer streaming versions of their films while they're out in, in theaters, just to compete with piracy and to compete with people's uh, lack of going to the theater. I mean, everything's right. going digital anyway. So you know, why not put out uh, you know an adult uh, representative of that in terms of you know a, a platform for 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 consuming content and and for um, uh, kind of consuming premium content stuff that people are willing to pay for and are interested in paying for. Um, so I think you know the more that we can build on that momentum, I think remembering the very important very important fact that uh, you don't make a good movie by just like. You know, it, it's not it's not something you write on a napkin. Mm-hmm. You know, and like you need 
you need filmmakers to do it, you need actors to do it, you need like you need the production team to be like inspired mm-hmm. and motivated and give their life for it. You need to get that enthusiasm because that enthusiasm is contagious and that's what makes a brand a brand. Mm. Brands are not built from behind offices in other countries looking at just data points. Mm-hmm. Unless you're a monopoly and yeah. You know, <laughs> won't say that. But 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 you know, like there can only be so many monopolies. You know, right, the, the rest right. of us are going to need to figure out some other way because yeah. that's you know. Um, so I think that 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 I'm hoping is going to continue to to evolve. Otherwise, none of us are going to make any more money. So like we yeah. gotta we've, we're going to have to change. Um, I think that uh, part of that big wave of change we're seeing with um, people uh, that are now independent content producers. I think like the independent. Um, uh, models of uh, sites like ManyVids mm-hmm. um, are a good example of how um, independent producers and also um, uh, performers are starting to take back the reins mm. of creating their own content because hey, they've got most of the same equipment that the you know yeah. that that the producers have or the companies have half the time. It's amazing how technology has not only given everybody a platform to distribute their own content, but it's also advanced like cameras and lighting so much mm-hmm. that you can actually afford really good equipment and produce great stuff yeah. without having to spend you know, two hundred thousand dollars on like some insane lighting grip setup. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. You know, like I, half of the stuff, some of the stuff I see on MoneyVids that that uh, independent performers are, are are creating, producing is like certainly rivals what I'm seeing churned out by a lot of established studios. I mean, mm-hmm. the, and the difference there as well is the creativity is there mm. and the ownership of it is there and, and the empowerment is there. Because people are more invested in their own content. Of course, yeah. yeah. When you when you believe, I mean, when it's a mission, not a job, right. that makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, I think that that's another, that's another example of that shift in mentality um, that hopefully uh, the the professional... <laughs> Porn producers will kind of wake up to and realize, like, oh, we should probably reinvest in our talent and reinvest in 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 that creative expression and freedom that built this business in the first place. Right, right. Awesome, Bree. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Honestly, it was a great interview. Really inspiring. Um, I love talking to people who really love their job and have like that kind of passion. Um, I think. This is something that I've talked about a lot is that I feel like in the past few years I've gotten a little more burnt out and I've lost some of my passion for my work and I've been trying to kind of like re reestablish that. So I always love talking to people like you who um <laughs> who, you know, have that passion that I feel like I used to have and I kind of like lost along the way. Oh, so. Well, you know what? It just I know you've probably got like a trunk load of ideas. So it's just it's just finding one of those ideas and then connecting with the right people, and that's how the stuff happens. So, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And can you tell everyone where they can find you um, on social media and um, you know all the websites and everything that that you work for? Absolutely. So you can find uh, me on Twitter and at inst- on Instagram at the Bree Mills. Um, and uh, my main studio sites are girlsway.com and puretaboo.com. And if you like massage stuff, you can check out <laughs> fantasymassage.com as well. They're all part of the Gamma Films umbrella. And uh, yeah, come and uh, submit a story or two. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I look forward to seeing your new projects. Thank you. Congrats on all, on like sweeping up um, the awards season <laughs> this you. year. That's awesome. And um, I look forward to seeing what the future holds for you. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate being on. Thank you, Bree. All right, take care. That was truly fascinating. I absolutely loved hearing about how Brie kind of workshops every single one of her scenes, how she doesn't heavily script her stuff, and she has a completely different process that I've never really heard anybody else doing, and it was just really interesting to learn about that. Um, And plus, she's just a super cool girl, and I love how she's breaking boundaries, and I love her vibe, and that was just a really fun interview, so I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Next week on the show, I will be having sex therapist Amy Harwick on. Amy is actually a old friend of mine. Um, I met her because I shot her for Playboy quite a few years ago, and we just kind of clicked because I could tell right off the bat she was a really intelligent girl, and uh, we just had a lot in common, and now she's got her degree in therapy and she's been practicing, and we shot a book together, actually, uh, The Sex Bible for Women. And that was a really fun project. So I'm excited to see what she's up to and obviously want to hear her perspective on um, different mental health issues in the sex industry considering her expertise in that area. So make sure that you tune in next week for a very educational episode of Holly Randall Unfiltered with Amy Harwick. <laughs>